my word of advice is you don't have to build this like crazy intricate thing to start just you know create an mvp see if it works even if you try it out as just a blog because that's low effort doesn't require engineering or web development just try it out because again like our blogs also convert really high that are just talking about our templates you're listening to content logistics a podcast for b2b marketers looking to build a content engine that drives revenue in each episode camille trent interviews the marketers behind the best content marketing flywheels and uncovers the tactical aspects of content production from first draft to first customer hello and welcome to another episode of content logistics i'm your host camille trent I'm the head of content at Dooley. It's the fastest way to update Salesforce. And it's also my new favorite way to to take notes. The episode is brought to you by my good friends, Tristan and Justin at Motion. It's an agency that helps busy B2B tech marketers launch podcasts just like this one. So definitely, if you're looking to start a podcast, check them out. They're the best quality. I could never do the videos that they put together. They're super impressive. They're also just super organized, have the communication and the process part down. So go check them out. Today, our guest is Hiba Amin. She is the senior marketing manager at HyperContext, which was previously Soapbox. And today we're going to talk about the logistics of a template library, building a template library. So Hiba, thank you for joining me today. We were just talking about how crazy of a week that you've had, and that (laughs) is just the day in the life for a content marketer. And I really appreciate you coming on. First off, if you could just give a quick background uh, on yourself. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, quick background. I've been at HyperContext, still getting used to saying that, for the last two or so years. I've done everything from content marketing to now kind of just leading marketing. Uh, I was a team of one for about a year, and that was absolute chaos throughout the pandemic. But otherwise, you know, I'm super passionate about leadership, about running meetings that don't feel like, you know, you want to rip your hair out during and after. And so it's a really perfect match in terms of, you know, running content and doing all that at HyperContext. And so, yeah, that's the gist of it, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I first noticed you guys actually from AppSumo, right? Like I saw your deal in there, downloaded the Chrome extension, and then I was just geeking out on your guys' content marketing (laughs) from a content (laughs) Uh, marketing perspective too. And so I like the product. I also just like the way you're marketing the product, which I feel like when you have both those things, you like the product even more (laughs) because Mm -hmm. of the marketing. Anyways, and so the thing that stood out to me though is because you guys are taking a different kind of approach to product-led growth, right? And so you think of that as like getting signups. You guys are still getting signups. We have an interesting way of going about it from a content perspective. And what you guys are doing is a template library, right? And so when I think of templates, when I did think of templates, it would be the old school kind of HubSpot play, which like nothing against that because it's clearly working super well for them. But I would think of Google Docs, I would think of Google Sheets, you know, like these massive guides or like tabs put together. You guys are doing something different. So if you can just kind of walk through what you guys are doing and sort of how it's working. Yeah, so we surfaced basically uh, a feature within our product, which is uh, a template library, which is uh, an agenda templates library more specifically. And so in the context for our company, you know, I think the biggest competitor for us is absolutely Google Docs in terms of running one-on-one meetings through there, or even just pen and paper. After having a lot of customer calls, especially for people who are obviously sick of Google Docs, this was a really easy way for people to get a lot of value from our app. And so as we had more customer conversations, you know, 
we realized this is a really big opportunity for us because there's a lot of people who are really frustrated with Google Docs. They're frustrated with having to scroll and it's just not organized and it's chaotic for managers, especially when you have like six direct reports and you have these just never ending documents. And so for us, it made sense for current users, but it, as a result of that, it also made sense for people who were looking for a solution. And so it was a great way to capture these people while they're in the process of being like, holy crap, I need this new way of doing things. What's working? What's going on right now? It's just not working. And so to be able to capture not only search traffic for people who are looking for ideas, but also to be able to drive value for people who already know and are at the decision-making stage, like I need a solution. It kind of tackled both of those at the same time. And so for us, you know, it's a fairly easy, it's SaaS and it's product-led and it's fairly easy from, you know, coming onto a blog, let's say, and getting into the product. It's not this like strenuous process where you have to add a credit card or anything. It's just such a low barrier to entry into the product. And so for us, you know, we're driving value through content that way, but with a really easy, you know, CTA and, and process to get into the product and create an account and get value immediately that day. That was kind of the driver and the thought process behind it. It, it was really customer driven, to be honest. Uh, and we just kind of capitalized on, on that feedback. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. So from kind of a content flywheel perspective, I feel like that is the light bulb moment when you find something that's, oh, this is helpful for our current customers, but then it's also helpful for any sort of prospects or like anyone that's interested in this type of product. Like when there's that intersection, you're like, oh, this is evergreen content. It works for both sides. That's usually like a good indicator for me of it being like a good content program. But kind of along those lines, is it something that you would recommend that somebody coming into a new role or looking to launch like the content marketing program at their company? Is it something that you would start out with or do you need to build other sort of foundational elements first? Like where do you think it fits in terms of priority? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, for me uh, at the stage that we're at, if the more I can replicate this template library, the more I'm going to. We replicated it with our goal examples library and that went really well. If you look at all of our competitors from a product perspective, they all now have, have template libraries. You're starting to see a lot of people outside of, you know, let's say the meeting management industry as well. There's a ton of template libraries and they're less focused on those Google Sheets that, like you mentioned, or Google Docs for people to kind of copy and paste. It's very product driven. And so I think if you kind of consider yourself in that product-led company bucket, absolutely, like no brainer to do this because everything you're doing should be around the product. It should be around customers and driving value for them. And I think that templates are the best way to surface your product while driving, you know, just knowledge. I think at the, like, I guess at the ground level, if it's helpful and useful to your audience from a, a content marketing perspective, and you're able to tie that into your product, the conversion rate is just going to be so much higher. And we've experienced that when comparing, you know, specific content pieces to the template library, it's just night and day. And so, yeah, if you can and have the resources to do it, just go for it. And also... I guess my word of advice is you don't have to build this like crazy intricate thing to start. Just, you know, create an MVP, see if it works. Even if you try it out as just a blog, because that's low effort, doesn't require engineering or web development, just try it out. Because again, like our blogs also convert really high that are just talking about our templates. And so it doesn't have to be this full scale product. It was lucky for us because we were able to get engineering time. And so we have an API built that surfaces all of the templates we build within this like middle platform, it puts those templates into our actual app while putting it directly into the agenda templates. I guess all, all those pages on the website as well, on the marketing website. 
Yeah, yeah, okay. So there's like a lot of good stuff there to, to dive into. So as a recap, <laughs> I'm trying yeah, to not forget any of it. But as a recap for folks, it seems like if you're a product led company, and I like what you said that everything should be around that product, like that's the approach that you're taking on a business standpoint. So that's the approach you should be taking on a marketing standpoint. So everything should be around that that should guide you that should be your North Star. And then also just if you have the resources to do it, like assess that. And if you don't, you know, you can do a blog, like you said, you can do the MVP version of this. And it sounded like too, that converts really well as well. And so it's not something that has to be a, a big risk. It's something that's been proven out, at least on, on your end. So both of those plays to start one, if you have the resources, and then two, you can just yeah start with a, a blog if not. And then also just validating with the market if this is to the type of content that they want to consume. So we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I loved how you said it. So how did you validate that these topics were things that your customers were interested in? Like, how, how did you know what to talk about? Yeah, I came in about a couple weeks into after this was this decision was made, at least for the very first library, which is the agenda templates. But everything that we do at HyperContext is super focused around customers. So we have customer calls at least, you know, across the entire team, at least 15 times a week. And from a marketing perspective, I'm maybe in two or three a week, more if I'm lucky. And so it's really just asking. And I think something to be really focused on as well as your end user I think a lot of people might always focus on who's the decision maker. But when you're at a product-led company, you're marketing to that end user. So we could be marketing to the CEOs and to HR and, and all these people who could blanketly tell the whole company, hey, we downloaded this tool, or we're implementing it for everyone. But if we're not building that product for the people who are going to be using it every day, which is you know those managers and those direct reports and marketing to those people and driving the most value for them, it's not going to stick and eventually they'll churn. And so that's how that came to be. For us, one of the demographics of people that we also interviewed a lot was first-time managers. And so that spurred the Agenda Templates Library because, you know, I'm a first-time manager, and, but I, I thankfully had two years of just researching and content within this realm. But the average first-time manager goes in, you know, thinking they're just getting a promotion because they're really good at, you know, content, let's say. They might not necessarily be great at people management, and it's a whole new role, and they have no clue what they're doing half of the time. And that's just the reality. And that's where you end up having some people who aren't the greatest managers, not because they're bad people, but because they're just not prepared and they don't know. And so that was kind of one way for us to tackle that pain and kind of help coach management habits within our app, which is one of the value props that we share, at least with that new manager demographic. And so I think like within the leadership space, people are always craving best practices. They're always craving new ideas. Uh, and as managers, there's a lot going on. You're juggling so much. And so for us as a product, you know, learning that, it was kind of tackling it to say, here are some ways that we can help you think less in your job. Here are some ways that we can help you take a bit of the burden off of management by giving you information that not only we've curated um, and created ourselves, but other managers who we respect have also created and have used with their team. And so it's kind of just creating this like best in class library uh, for us that's obviously very conversion driven, but at the same time, really focused on driving value. And that's something that I care about a lot. And I know a lot of content marketers care about a lot is, you know, not just putting out nonstop fluff. It's like, how can you make this actionable? How can you make this useful? Also, obviously, while giving it back to the business results, um, which is more around, you know, can this drive revenue? Can this drive signups? Can this drive traffic? Like all of these things. And so finding that kind of harmony there was really important. I think that, you know, 
the past marketer who initially thought of this idea is just a genius. And I've kind of taken that and ran with it. And then we started the goals library as a result, because that was the first opportunity for us to completely replicate it. And it did so well. So for us, that was just proving that this template library wasn't a lucky fluke. It actually worked. And I think that's also important to, to know. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a lot there too. So I'll break it down <laughs> as a recap. It's good. I, I want every <laughs> everything to have a lot of value. And that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Is making sure every piece of content has a ton of value that you feel like you're getting like 10x your money's worth, right? Okay. So a couple things where you talk to 15 customers uh, a week among the team. So are those sales calls or are those like CS calls or are those like specifically for marketing? What are those calls? Uh, I would say we don't have a sales team, but it's a mix between customer success. I think customer success probably takes the, the majority of it. It's a mix with the founders, with the product team and marketing. Sometimes I'm a fly on the wall in these conversations. Sometimes it's more product focused around just like asking for feedback as simple as, what do you hate about our product? Why did you look for our product? What are you struggling with? And so a lot of the questions that we ask really help product inform the roadmap for them. But as a result, it also informs me on the type of content we should be creating. And yeah, I guess it's just a mix, but the majority is definitely CS. Okay. Yeah. So, so CS and a little bit of like product marketing. So that's how you're kind of like keeping a pulse on the audience. And then you also mentioned that first time managers, like you identified that as your primary audience. And so I think the important lesson there is one, like figured out who your persona is, who's like the person who like really feels the pain, like really needs this product because it's easy to say, oh, everybody needs meeting notes, right? Like anyone can use meeting notes. And Everyone gets in that trap, I feel like, especially if you don't have a product marketer or product focused marketer on board that's not helping you rein that in and say, no, there's like this one person that we're going after and we're going to write all of our content around that. And then the, the other thing that you're doing is keeping a pulse on that by having these meetings like every week that you can tune into and so people evolve like pe people change like they have new wants and needs other products come up and so being on those calls and like keeping a pulse on what they want and how they're evolving is super important so I think that's really important on the persona audience side of things and so now I think we can get into kind of like the actual creation like how do you start building this because I think what's impressive is you had a big team and then you're a marketer of one. And so you had to like keep the machine going like as a marketer of one. And so maybe talk to how you get that done. And maybe it is that you are super organized in your meetings, but how does someone get this done? How many team members ideally would you have to launch a project like this? Yeah. Just talk me through kind of like week to week, how you keep this process going. Yeah. If you want to go full scale to, to what we kind of built, I'll speak on just the goal examples library at this point, because I was there for end to end. For us, the resources that we used, I'd say, is a designer to get all the designs done, both in-app and also front-facing on the marketing website. We had a web developer, and at the time, that was the CEO, uh, which probably you won't be able to get for your own product in terms of building one. The content was mostly on my plate and I got a ton of help from people on the team. And to just share some context, the Goal Examples Library is this front-facing library that includes over 200 examples of OKR and goal examples for every role in tech. And we're still building it and adding to it over time. But so I, I basically leveraged at the start, I think we, we hit about 40 goals between the product and engineering team set, submitting some marketing for myself more leadership ones from the founders. 
And that was exhausting on its own. You know, we were a team of 15 at the time and we needed more and more to actually be able to, you know, achieve this goal of sharing goals for every role in tech. And so I just opened the floodgates and I asked a lot of our partners to just submit their goals if they were willing. And so we started getting, I think we had about a hundred goals submitted from external partners, which I think was the best decision we made. And so I think from a resource perspective, it doesn't all have to be internal. It doesn't all have to be agency driven, for example, like you obviously don't have to create something this crazy to start. And, you know, the reason we went a little bit nuts is because we knew it was going to work. We had, you know, all this data and all of this customer feedback that just basically pointed to, if you build this, conversions will come. It'll add value to customers in-app. And it was all part of a new feature launch, which was goals. It was beyond just meetings at this point for the product. And so if you want to go for very MVP, I think finding a way like I said, just start with blogs, see if the topics actually resonate, have a simple CTA to either, you know, book a demo or sign up for the product, whatever your CTA is, that makes the most sense for your funnel. And if those blogs start getting traction, it's getting the right and the right people onto your page, then I think you can start saying and building a case. And that's going to make it so much easier as well to fight for resources and, and to get the resources you need to actually build this full scale library. But again, you know, with the agenda templates library, we started with 20. We just kind of sourced. We looked through keywords to see what made most sense, what were people searching for. And at the time, you know, I think we were the first of, of the template libraries that came out within our specific space beyond the Microsoft Word documents. And so there was search volume to an extent. And so the search intent, when we actually typed those keywords into Google, also made sense. You're getting all of these templates, but they were just like our competitor, which was Google Docs or Microsoft Word. And so that was just the opportunity. It, it just made sense, which we've already covered, but start really small. Like, I, I don't think you have to go so crazy and so big and wild. I think it's nice to just start with something. And once you kind of see the results, that'll give you more time to just keep building. Yeah. And I think outsourcing for us in terms of just allowing collaborators was not only just a great way to build more content faster, especially as a small team, especially like at the time when it was just me, but it created such a great distribution network as well. All of these people were proud of being part of building something really cool and valuable and actionable. And so of course they're going to share it because they contributed, you know, they're proud of it. They're just as proud of it as we were. And I think that's also something people should consider as they're building is just allow people to build with you. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Okay. So the first thing that came to mind with that is I feel like content marketers and marketers in general either have one weakness or the other. So I'll get into this of either you want to move too fast and you don't necessarily put in the time to make that thing really valuable or just get it to where it needs to be for it to convert or for it to just be engaging. So there's that side of things. And then there's this other side that I think is even more common, like in content marketing, where it's like this perfectionist like point of view where you want to do it a certain way, you have a certain vision for it. And if you can't get to that, then like, what's the point, right? And so you're kind of like proposing this alternative, like to both of those things, right? Of ideally, like to create something like you guys have created, which is great, is you would need a, a UX designer, like you need an actual developer, especially like a front-end developer for this, and you need the content marketer. And so that's an important note on the hiring side, because sometimes with content, it's like, you just need a content writer, and then you're good, right? Like that's your team. But like there's, Google really prioritizes that user experience now too. And so having that 
in-house especially or, or having that resource available to you to just build it the way that you want to like that's the ideal and that's still like very doable i feel like and you should bring on a developer and a designer as soon as possible but for those earlier stage companies that don't necessarily have those resources you've also proposed okay you can just start with a blog like just start and it, it it's not valuable if it is a blog right like you can make a really helpful comprehensive cover all of the same things but not necessarily have the CTAs and the previews the way that you want them but that's something that can help you just validate this project and to to prove that it works and like you said an MVP model and so i like that because i feel like it gives content marketers just the green light to just keep creating and to not be held back by like their version of good it's one thing i always say is that the audience decides what good is. And so if you ship yeah. it and they like it, like it doesn't matter if, if it's not up to your standards. Nobody saw like your vision board and all of your inspiration. <laughs> like we're the only people that see that, but we hold, hold ourselves to that standard. And so anyway, so that's kind of an aside, but I think it's an important note for people that you can just get started. And for something like this, if you are interested in doing it, you can start with the blog. If you've already, like you said, proved it out in the market and you feel very confident that it will work and you're able to put those resources behind it, then now like people are more aware of what those resources are that they would need to build the team. But I think that's a really good playbook and just like how to get this started. So the other thing that I was curious about though, since this is a website play and so it is like a search play, did you do any keyword research? Did you do any like SEO work around that? How did that play into this strategy? Yeah, the keyword research was more focused around when we were building the goals library specifically, it was, it was really focused around what roles made sense to prioritize, especially at the start of the project. We were aiming to just target three departments, which was sales, CS, and engineering. And typically that's because those are the managers that benefit from our platform the most because they have the most direct reports. Like typically, you know, marketing teams are fairly small across a tech company, but engineering is usually like 70% of the company or sales and things like that. So those people made sense for us to, to start with. And so we started with keyword research to see were people actually searching like to the point where were they searching for DevOps, DevOps, OKR goal examples, and they were. And so that actually ended up being one of our top performing pages, which just blew my mind because I would never think to, you know, I don't know, write for write goals for that. And so the keyword volume, I would say, and also the, the search intent on those pages definitely helped us prioritize and also just discover new roles we weren't even thinking about. But then as we kind of went on through the process, I got really selfish. I was like, I want marketing goals. I want to be able to benefit from this thing we're building too. And it was also that, you know, the feature we were launching, which was goals, was really more focused around org-wide adoption versus just that middle manager or that end user. And so at that point, the project completely blew up in scope. So we started adding marketing, we started adding all the C-suite, we started adding, you know, yeah, I don't know, like operations. And then we started thinking about other types of goals that would be kind of a catch-all. So professional development, personal development. And so all of that stuff was basically determined through keyword research. And some of that stuff was just created because it was useful. So DNI goals, those it didn't have the craziest search volume at the time, but we thought it was really important for our users. So I think search and SEO drove probably 80% and the other 20% was just thinking about what would be useful to our customers. Because at that point, you know, they might come through the DevOps search result 
into the platform or into the goals library, but they can still search around and see all of the other goals available to them. And so we wanted to continue to drive value that way. And also the fact that they all lived in the product, we wanted to make sure that we were also adding value to our users in there because they might not necessarily be looking at search. They're just going to look through our product for these for this inspiration. But yeah, I would say search definitely was a, a big proponent of it. And it's still driving a ton of traffic for us as a result. And so we, we definitely experienced this massive boost once the goals library specifically got launched. Looking back at it now, and yeah. But I, I do think search was important. And how we, I think, framed or phrased different roles or goals. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about in there too. So basically for prioritization for search, you're looking at search volume and then do you say intent? Was that the other portion yeah. of it? And then were you defining intent kind of based on those roles and your key personas or what are the other things you're looking for in terms of intent? I think it was honestly just seeing what came up with the search results. So for example, it didn't really happen with the goals library, but when we first started with the agenda templates library, if we would search one-on-one, it's very sports focused. It's not really meeting focused. It's not management focused. It's all about like football or basketball or I don't know, some sport. Okay. And so for us, it was like, are people searching these specific terms and, and is Google according to Google, basically, does this make sense? And so at that point, we for sure wanted to say like meeting template. So instead of just one-on-one template, we have to add that meeting in there because at that point, search intent made way more sense. That's what people were actually searching for something similar to what we were creating. With goals, I think it was fairly simple. I think where maybe we wanted to double check some things was just around team versus individual, which is where the roles came a bit more specific. And then professional development, personal development, like things like that. We wanted to make sure we weren't targeting goals that university students might be searching for. There's a few key terms there that was very focused on students versus professionals. And so making sure that aligned as well. And obviously search intent is going to change over time. And so it's going to be something we're going to have to go back and look at if traffic drops on certain pages or maybe conversions too. But for now, it's just been on a steady climb. Uh, and so no reason to to go back and, you know, kind of re- revisit everything. But yeah, I guess that's how I view intent is, are people searching and going to similar pages or at least similar types of content? Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Like in the same way, when you're looking at keywords to bid on, if it's like pricing or, you know, best tool, like, you know, things like that, where it's a pretty good indicator that they're looking to buy or that they're interested in a product rather than maybe kind of like more of a, an educational play. So, so trying to suss that out. And then the other thing that stood out to me was just throughout this interview in general, I think a theme has been to really like understand and empathize like with your target buyer, right? Like that it's sometimes that simple of, of like, would they appreciate this? <laughs> Sorry, my dog. <laughs> I'm loving it. But yeah, so so that's like a, a big thing for me. Like anytime that someone's trying to find like hacks, <laughs> it always just comes back to that. It's, who's your customer? What do they mm-hmm. want? You know, are like, do you have a, a good way to have a pulse on that? Are you active like in communities and are you in places that they are? And so just checking all of those boxes, like you've just alluded to it a few different times of, okay, we could go after students. We could go after these other things too, but that's not our our persona right and so making sure that you're covering your bases like with the persona and you're doing everything for them first like before you start branching out i think that's like one of the biggest mistakes that people make is like 
wanting everything, like wanting to please everyone and really just stretching yourself too thin in trying to make that happen. And then the other side of this that you said was uh, about how you were <laughs> starting to feel jealous of these other roles that you're creating content for. And you're like, I want to represent marketers, right? Or, or like, I want this content. And I feel like that's another, again, like good, just light bulb moment or just like indicator that you're on the right path when you want your own content, right? Yeah. Like when you would be interested in the content. And even if it's not aimed at marketers, like you are able to tell from their frameworks that it's the type of content that would be helpful to you as a marketer, if that makes sense, like that the way that you're formatting the content would be helpful to you. And so, yeah, so regardless of whether you're working in the industry that you're in, like if you're not your, your ideal buyer, you can still think, okay, what is the marketing equivalent like to this type of content? And would that be beneficial to me? Like sometimes I just run things through that filter too of yeah. like, would I engage with this content? Like, would I save this content if I was in this industry? Like, would it work for me? So I don't know if you had any other thoughts on that specifically, but just in how to become like a, what I call like a method marketer, like getting <laughs> in like the, the mind, like in like the, and really having the routine of that person so that you're hyper-focused on them. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that shocked me the most, and I'm a hundred percent guilty of this is how little marketers talk to customers. I think that we internally have this barrier in our head where we need sales to introduce us to customers or we need to get that feedback from sales or customer success or support. And so I was in that for so long, like for most of my career until coming to hyper context and maybe even like about six to eight months into my job. And then when it got to a point where I was just seeing and getting jealous of the founders and the product team and the customer success team all talking to customers, I was like, this is super useful. Can I join a couple calls? And then, you know, my CEO kept drilling down until like it finally broke in my head where he was just like, why do you need me to invite you to these calls? Like, why don't you just go ask customers yourself? You have like our whole database. Why don't you just email them? Like they're so appreciative when, when we talk to them because then they get, you know, they feel valued. They're like, my feedback is actually potentially impacting the product. It's impacting the content that I'm receiving. It's impacting, you know, information that could be useful to me. And so you know, when we have these conversations that are so focused on marketing, it's so beneficial. And I think that we need, as marketers, we really need to not build those barriers in our head that we need to wait for sales or CS to introduce us to customers and just go and ask them for talk conversations ourselves. And I think something else that changed was I didn't limit it to existing customers. Just talk to people who are your personas as well, especially people who pick a different tool over you or people who fit your demographic, but aren't really sold yet why, what information do they need to convert? That might influence, you know, your marketing copy, but it also could influence your product. Maybe there's a huge piece of the puzzle that you're missing that could get you to a closer product market fit. And yeah, I guess that, like that's going to be the theme of everything. I think that for my career at this point is just talk to your customers a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And yeah, you're, you're so right that with sales and CS, like it feels like they're the people, right? Yeah. <laughs> where, where they're the ones that are interfacing with them. Like sales obviously has to talk to people. Then CS obviously like has to like support people. And, and then we can think about it as like sales talking to prospects mainly, and then CS talking to current customers. But 
marketing really has to bridge both of those things. Like, as you're saying, they have to understand the customer and why they became a customer and then also understand the prospect and why they didn't become a customer. And it could be that they don't know they exist uh, or it could just be that they have other objections. And so then you're going back to the customer and like, how did you get over this objection? Right. And so like marketing really is the role that needs to bridge those two things and needs to have kind of a constant pulse on it to deliver that type of content. The other part of that is that those teams will appreciate it when you do that, right? Like sometimes we're like yeah. timid to, to ask them, but oftentimes like they're appreciative one, if you jump in on those calls, but then two, like, especially if you just do it yourself, right? If you just like figure it out on your own, because then you're able to talk their language too. Like you're able to catch up on the sales side and sort of catch up on the CS side and everything just starts like running more smoothly because of that. So yeah, if nothing else, I hope people just like understand how important <laughs> it is to talk to customers and for that to drive whatever type of content that you end up with. But that if you're a product-led company, a template play is probably a pretty pretty good idea because it gets you into the product. It gets you understanding how to use the product because this is the, the thing that stood out to me is use cases in general, right? Like we think of case studies and those are helpful and, and I still believe in, in those. But what's like the next level of that for me is like, seeing the use case and then being able to apply the use case like to my life. And so that I feel like is what templates helps accomplish is you're able to, okay, identify with the use case, but then see how it applies to me because you have done the work of creating around a persona and creating it around their problems. And so that's the simple sell on why this works. But I think the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is the actual sort of like results and like metrics that you've seen for this. So just whatever you're kind of comfortable sharing, but some questions that I had were like, what percentage of acquisition like comes from this type of a strategy? And then just how did you know that it was working? Yeah, I pulled some numbers for you. But from a traffic perspective, any of our like blogs or template libraries and the goal examples, that makes up close to half of our traffic from the overall website in terms of just people landing on those pages. And that's across the board. We don't run any ads. So this is all just, you know, referral traffic or organic or social. And then from a sign up perspective, just from the agenda templates alone and blogs about agenda templates, those drive 33% of our signups every week. And we get anywhere from four to 500 companies at least pre-rebrand, we're kind of just going through the domain switch now. But that was 33% of people who landed on any of those pages converted, or sorry, 33% of the people who converted landed on those pages. So yeah, it's four to 500 companies a week. So I guess we're talking like two to 300 signups or around 200 or so signups, company signups, just from those pieces of content. I completely forgot to add goals in there, but I mean, goals also drives a ton. And so, you know, it's enough to say like, hey, this works, you should absolutely do it for your own company. And no kidding, like the rest of our competitors now all have template libraries. And so, you know, that number was much higher before when the competition was really low, because we were the comp we were competing with Google Docs and Microsoft Word Docs, but now we're competing with other companies in a similar space. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be a little bit more volatile as more people create, you know, these agenda template libraries for internal stuff or external, maybe. But I don't know, it works. And I wholeheartedly believe it's been a big driver for MRR at our company. Because also a lot of the people who come through these pages actually stick around the product. And so we look at the metrics, both from, you know, signups, which is great. But we also look at how many people came back the next day, 
how many people came back again within a week, and then how many people converted after their two-week free trial. What does that look like? And every time someone converts, I personally, at this point, I still go back and I look, where was that first page that led them to signing up? And it's typically a template. It's either the homepage, the pricing page, or a template library page or blog. And so I think for, for us, it just makes sense from even a monetary perspective beyond just signups can become vanity metrics if they don't lead to revenue, but they do. And that's another point for us to just look at. Yeah, I mean, those are incredible results, I think, especially for companies that aren't doing paid or don't want to do paid and are trying to think about how they're building that sort of organic engine. I think these are some like smart plays to look at. The other kind of question that I had around this was, how long did you have to wait to see those results just to give people an idea of the, the runway that you'd have to build for this? For the goals library, honestly, it was the fastest pieces of content I've seen in my career in terms of ranking. It was just ludicrous. I remember we launched in September and the day that we set the goals library live, we also launched on product hunt and it just went absolute haywire. We had, again, all of these partners, it was about 50 companies who contributed to this library. They were all sharing across their social platforms. The individual people who contributed to the library were all sharing it across their platforms. I was getting people sharing like screenshots of their Slack community talking about it. So the traffic boost beyond just everything we got from Product Hunt, which I think was like three or 4,000 um, visits just from Product Hunt alone that day to that page, plus like all of these people who were sharing on social media, it just accelerated. I think Google indexing it, maybe I'm just making a theory here up. But at the same time, all of the people who also contributed to that library found value. And so they linked back to it from their own websites. And so it was really easy for Google to index fast because we just got this massive uptick of backlinks we didn't even have to ask for with all of these people from all corners of the internet coming to this library. And so I think that was just huge for us. And it ended up, you know, after a couple of weeks, we started ranking number one for a lot of different specific role terms. And I think the benefit there is, you know, a lot of these might have low volume, but the intent is so high that people, the click-through rate from search was just pretty high as well from our average. And then I remember I, I looked at our numbers again, because this was September, so we don't really look at Q4, because Q4 numbers typically go down, especially during Christmas season. But once January rolled around, our weekly traffic compared to that week in September spiked 51% just from organic. And so we continued to see that. And now we've got a consistently growing organic traffic for us. Obviously, the numbers kind of in a weird limbo now that we've switched our domain, but it's coming back fast. And so for me, it was just the fastest I've personally seen content rank. And I think the biggest part of that was honestly just having so many great collaborators who were excited about it, just as excited about it as we were. And I think that accelerated it. So I, I guess if you build it and you don't have a huge army to promote it with you, it's going to take a little bit longer. It's going to take more work around you know, building links yourself and, and doing all of these different activities. But if you do it, it's valuable to your customers. And if you have a lot of people who are there to be able to contribute and, you know, kind of take ownership of that piece just as much and take as much pride in it as well, it's definitely going to rank faster. And you're going to get a lot more content, better content, I would say as well. Because like I said, we don't have a sales team. So we got all of these people to contribute who lead sales teams. They know what they're talking about. We don't necessarily know what we're talking about within that specific realm. So I think it also just added credibility. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like involving your actual audience and the actual subject matter expert, like this could be like a whole other podcast of like the, the importance on that. Because yeah, I've just found and I've been thinking about this recently, like just making friends, like, <laughs> turns out that's a pretty good strategy, especially like in your niche. But really, yeah, it's just like a partnerships and even like an influencer play there that kind of helps build that build the cycle like build your uh, flywheel basically and so Mm -hmm. that's an important thing I think to bring up in here is that you could do it yourself right you could research and you could make these templates on your own but it might not have like the credibility that it has like if you involve CMOs or if you involve RevOps from big companies from people that other people trust like and so thinking about how you can involve your audience in your content in the beginning and this does take a little bit of planning but I've just found that yeah if you think about it as like a whole cycle of like how is this going to become a flywheel and how can we know for sure that people are going to share this there's multiple things that you mentioned already like just having it on product hunt in general pretty good idea also just having it on your blog as kind of owned content involving subject matter experts and, and influencers that knew that you were starting this to begin with that gave you validation that it was a good idea that helps you create the content and then help you distribute the content like they're actually at each stage creation and helping this play out and then also involving like your internal teams right like cs like they could use some of this content when these questions come up of like how do i make this template how do i use this product right so they can use it and then i've also seen you use it in email too so like another form of distribution of either taking the data from from the product itself, which is kind of another subject entirely too, but also to just, yeah, use the the template libraries in there of like, these are our most popular templates or whatever, and, and that's the email. So yeah, a lot of good plays here on just how to not only build a template library, but how to make it work for you, like how to make it an actual program rather than a project. And just another good thing for people to note on how to get this going. We talked through, I think, everything that I kind of had on my agenda about agenda templates. <laughs> so I think my last thing is just what advice would you give someone that's looking to kind of start a template library and, you know, how can they get started? Yeah, I think, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a broken record here, but start with talking to your customers. That's going to be the first step. Validate that idea uh, and find a way to do it in an MVP way. If you don't have that much, that many resources, if you do, I think, you know, take it step by step still. I don't think you should go all out if this is your first time building a template library, because I think there's a lot that you can do as a marketer. So I think proving out that this works for your audience uh, is really important. And yeah, I think that's basically the start. I mean, just talk to your customers. They're going to be able to, to help you drive and understand what the best type of template library is, what the best useful resource that's actionable is for both your existing user base or customer base, but also, you know, prospects as well. Yeah, I guess like, just don't think too large just if if you're starting. I think it's really easy for marketers, myself included, to want to do everything, like you said, and be a perfectionist and have this big, big, big thing. But what I've continued to learn is no one is going to care as much as you do. It's a sad fact, but I think that's it. It's a good thing to to kind of also take in is, you know, we just went through an entire rebrand and I wanted to do it everything. I wanted to change the website, the designs. I want, I wanted to do it all. And we took a step back. It didn't matter. We had bigger priorities. We changed the domain. We changed the name. And people were still happy. 
Like no one was you know, just nitpicky about, oh my gosh, you have the same branding, the same templates library, like no one cares. And I think that's like a harsh truth, but I think it's a helpful truth because as you approach new and new projects every single time, just understand that you're going to care a lot more about it than your customers. But if you can get to a point where your customers really care about it as much as you do, then you did the right thing because you built something that is valuable to them and not to your resume as a marketer, I guess is what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great way to, to sum it up is that make content that your customers care about as much as you do. And then, yeah, t- take the time to make it really good so that you care about it as much as the customer too. Like it, it goes both ways, right? For you to kind of check your own work. But yeah, so I think that I have learned a lot in like how to build out a playbook like this and and also just how to interface with customers and potential customers. And so there's a lot in here to for people to dig into. So to end this out, where can people find you? Right. Yeah, people can find me on Twitter. My handle is H5Amin. Uh, you can find me all over the HyperContext blog and on this podcast. I love that. A uh, little like plug for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, Hibba, it was great meeting you. And thank you for taking the time to record this during your super busy week. You too. Thank you. This is so fun. Thanks for listening to Content Logistics. This episode is produced by Motion, a done-for-you B2B podcasting agency for busy marketers. If you liked what you heard, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.